but this book is not bringing up. So Moses goes to check it out. And then God calls to Moses from the bush and he says, Moses, I have a job for you. And Moses is 80 years old at this point. But God says, Moses, I need that deal on you to leave the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, send anybody else. And God's answer to Moses is, Moses, you made them out. I did. So go, and I will tell you what to say. And I wasn't a that because for so long, I, I didn't want to go. But God told me I needed to. And I'm so glad that I listened. super excited to be here today. I was looking back at my notes and I realized that the first time that I came to Mishawana was in the summer of 2016. And I'm a, a friend of Carmen Johnson's, so that's how I got associated with Mishawana. And I'm, as I said, really excited to be here. I just want to start out by uh, giving you a little bit of my testimony. Um, I was uh, born in May of 1979, and overall I think that's a great time of year to be born. The spring is ending, summer is beginning, an awesome thing. Except for one problem, I wasn't supposed to be born for another three months. So, I was born uh, at the 29th week of my mom's pregnancy, and because of that, I uh, had uh, I lost oxygen when I was born, and uh, that is why I have cerebral palsy, and why I have spent the the rest of my life or all of my life in a wheelchair. So. Um, I was raised in a Christian home, so my parents always taught me that God had a purpose for everything. And right before I turned five, I made the decision to trust Christ with my life. Um, but it took another nine years before I fully surrendered, because my approach to God at that point in those early days was, God, I know that you have secured my my permanent heavenward dwelling. I know that when I die, I will go to heaven. But the place where you've left me here on earth is miserable. And I don't know why you gave me this crippled body, because if you had given me a healthy body, then I could serve you. And that was my position for nine years, was if only you would heal me, or if only you would give me a healthy body, then I could serve you. And when I was 13 years old, so about eight years after my salvation, I hit rock bottom when my baby brother, John Michael, went to bed for a nap on the morning of July 16, 
1992, so 30 years ago this month, and he never woke up. The Lord took him home, and he was my mom's eighth baby, so to this point, he was my mom's healthiest baby at birth, and so I'm trying to reconcile this in my head and say, God, why did you take him when he was perfectly healthy and leave me here because I am completely useless? And that is the conversation that I had over and over and over with God in the months following my brother's death. I remember thinking, especially in those early weeks, maybe I could just drive my wheelchair out in front of the car and allow the car to hit me and my life would be over and I could go to heaven and I wouldn't have to struggle here on earth again or anymore. But I'm thankful today that God allowed me to be preserved, that he held on to me even when I didn't want anything to do with him. My parents put me in the van every Sunday and took me to church, even though I didn't want to be there. And God continued to work on me until the following year, in June, shortly after my 14th birthday, I went to a conference, and God said to me at that conference, because one of the sessions was on 10 things you can't change about yourself, and actually if you go to my website, www.speakingforhim.com, it's the number four, there is a series that I did on the 10 unchangeables of life. And one of those unchangeables is the way God made you physically. And I know, especially for young people, they can struggle with the way God made them. But let me assure you, God had a purpose for the way that he made you. And it was during that session that God broke through to me and he said, Andrew, I don't need to change you on the outside to use you. I only need to change you on the inside. I need you to get off the throne of your life and allow me to be on the throne. And then you can watch and see how I will use you. And so that day I surrendered and I said, God, wherever you allow me to share your word, I will do that. And you allow me to work in prison ministry for 20 years, and uh, I worked for uh, five years as a volunteer at a Christian school, and then five years as an employee, continuing to share the Word of God. My passion is preaching the Word of God, and so I'm excited to be here today to preach the Word of God to you. If you have your Bibles with you, if you will turn to the book of 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Now, I'm going to focus on these four verses of 4, 12 to 16. I should think it's five verses. And I just got to say, I'm really excited about this crowd today, because I think this is the biggest crowd I've ever spoke to here at Campus One. So thank you all for being here and for uh, getting me excited. But I'm glad to see so many Bibles here too, because I will have cross-references. And so you can help me by, when I, when I mention them, to look them up 
And then if you get to a cross-reference, to stand and read it for us. This helps me in two ways. Number one, I don't have to flip the pages in my Bible. And number two, it hopefully helps you stay awake. So, if we accomplish those two things, that would be great. I'm going to start out by reading the full passage, and then I will open in a word of prayer. Let no man despise thy youth, 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, Thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that we can come aside from the cares of the world. We thank you for a wonderful place like Camp Mishawana where we can leave the hustle and bustle of normal life behind. And now, Lord, I pray that you would be with us and help us to glean from your word that which you would have us to learn and to be better people for having been here, to be equipped to serve the kids that you will bring into our lives uh, this week. Lord, I pray that you would even now prepare their hearts to receive the implanted word of God that their souls may be saved. And for those that already know you, that they would be encouraged in the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. So, if you're taking notes, my message today is called Encouragement for the Young and the Young at Heart. Because Paul starts out this passage by talking to young Timothy. Now, we don't know how young Timothy was, but we know that he was very young, apparently, to be an elder in the local church. And yet, that was what God had called Timothy to be. And so, Paul is saying in these first two verses, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity, till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. So Paul is encouraging Timothy to not let people look down on his youth. It can be intimidating when you're a young person and God has gifted you and shown you spiritual truths to not be bold about them and to shrink away when people are older than you or maybe have been around longer or are wiser than you, but you can be an example to those who are older than you. The psalmist said it this way, I am wiser than all my teachers because your testimonies have been my meditation. So I want to encourage you, 
that you can be an example to everyone in this camp, regardless of their age or their position within the camp. You can be an example to them. So I would encourage you that you would embrace that role. The other thing Paul is saying here is he lists out the ways that you can be an example uh, in word, in conversation, which refers to conduct, in charity, which refers to good works, in spirit, which refers to being yielded to God, in faith, which refers to believing God. Remember in Hebrews it says, he that comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Why does it say you must believe that he is? Because everything good, God is. You ever think about that? The, the level of perfection of the God that we serve is so much that the writer of Hebrews says, you must believe that he is. Because everything good, God is. And then in purity, let your conduct show that you are a believer. And then Paul says, till I come, give attendance to reading. So reading the scriptures. He says in another place, Timothy, that from a childhood you have known the holy scriptures. That you were given your faith as a legacy from your mother and your grandmother. And you know the holy scriptures. So he says, continue in the scriptures. Continue in exhortation. Exhortation is encouraging people on this journey of the Christian life. I really believe that my main spiritual gift is exhortation because my primary passion is to see young people walking closer with the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of people today that name the name of Jesus, but say they are Christians, but they don't live by the word of God. We need to be Christians that live by the word of God. And then he says to doctrine. Some people say doctrine isn't important, but doctrine is important. Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. If anybody's preaching you another gospel, Paul said, let them be accursed. There is no other gospel. And we're living in a relative phase of our culture where people say, anything goes. My truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, but the Bible says the truth is the truth, no matter what. And we need to uphold that standard and be willing to admit when we fall short, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, Jesus says, come as you are. And a lot of people don't mind preaching that message. But the thing is, Jesus says, come as you are. But he says, don't stay there. The point of the Christian life is to become more and more conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus. So let's look at some verses by way of cross-reference. So please have your Bibles ready. The first one I want to look at is Titus 2, verse 7. Titus 2, 7. If somebody gets up, you can stand 
and read it loudly for us. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So, Paul is saying to Titus something very similar to what he said to Timothy. He says, teach the right things so that your enemies will not be as, will be ashamed when they try to speak against you. Who does that remind you of? There's an Old Testament story that this always reminds me of. The story of Daniel. Daniel was the head of the province of Babylon. The king knew that Daniel was wise, so he put him over all the leaders of Babylon. But you notice Daniel was the head of this heathen nation, but he never compromised his faith. And the, the leaders that were below Daniel, they were jealous of him. So they were like, we need to find a way to trap him. But it says they looked everywhere to find a way to trap him, and they couldn't find any. So what do they do? They create a law, and they say, O king, live forever. They speak to the king's vanity, and they say, King, you should decree that if anybody prays to anyone but you for 30 days, they should be thrown into the den of lions. So the king kind of likes this idea, and he says, Okay, do it. Why did they do this? They knew that Daniel was a man of prayer, and that three times a day, he went up into his room with his window open toward Jerusalem and prayed to God. So Daniel, being the man of integrity that he was, after that ruling was made, he went up into his room and prayed three times a day to God toward Jerusalem. And so they brought Daniel to the king and they said, O king, Daniel has broken your decree. You need to go into lion's den. This is that the king looked in all the records to see if there was a way that he could get Daniel out of this predicament. But there wasn't, because once he sealed it with his ring, it had to be done. So he puts Daniel in the lion's den, and he goes, and he stays awake all night, worried about Daniel, and he goes to the mouth of the lion's den the next day, and Daniel says, O king, live forever. The lions have not harmed me. My God has preserved me. Now, some people might say, well, maybe the lions just weren't hungry that day. But the passage goes on to say that the king decreed that the people that had put Daniel in the lion's den should be thrown in the lion's den themselves with their families. And the Bible tells us that those lions ate those people before they hit the ground. So we're not talking about lions that were hungry. We are talking about lions whose mouths were supernaturally stopped by none other than God himself. Our next passage is 2 Peter 1, verses 5 to 8. 2 Peter 1, 5 to 8. If someone can get that for us. And again, stand and read it as loud as possible. That would be good. Self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, the godliness of brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness of love. 
So the Apostle Peter is saying, add to your faith virtue and so on and so on, so that you can bear fruit to the Lord. So he's giving the pattern. So what I'm trying to point out to you here is that the Christian life is not something where I prayed a prayer once when I was seven, but it doesn't affect my daily life. It's a daily journey. It's a daily walking with the Lord. Finally, for this point, Joshua 1, verse 8. Joshua 1, verse 8. Joshua is about to go into the promised land. He's nervous. He's scared. His mentor Moses is dead. He's no longer with him. And what does God say? He says, continue to read the book of the law, which is the extent of the scriptures at this point. Then you will have good success. Now, success does not mean having a four-star garage or having a six-figure income. It could, but that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about doing the will of God and having the peace of knowing that you're in the center of His will. I did not expect last September to leave my job at the Potter's house, but God led in that direction, and so I followed. I don't know all that God has for me next, but I do know that my primary passion has been and continues to be preaching the Word of God. And so I'm excited to see what God has around each bank. I haven't reached the level of financial uh, success that I w- would like to, but I do know that God is truthful when He says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Because that's exactly what he has done. Alright. The second point for our passage this morning. Well, let me read to you this, this little story before we go on to point two. It says, One Sunday morning in 1865, a black man entered a fashionable church in Richmond, Virginia. When communion was served, he walked down the aisle and knelt at the altar. A rustle of resentment slept through the congregation. How dare he? After all, believers in that church used the common cup. Suddenly, a distinguished layman stood up, stepped forward to the altar, and knelt beside the black man. With Robert E. Lee setting the example, the rest of the congregation followed his lead. Billy Graham said that when someone shows courage, the spines of others around them are sticking. So when you take the bold step to show courage, to stand for your beliefs, you can inspire others to do the same. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ready for the fiery furnace because they had seen Daniel pray to God for answers to a dream. And they had prayed with Daniel. They had seen Daniel 
purpose in his heart not to eat the king's meat. So they purpose the same. So they follow his example in following God. Second point. First point was be an example and encourage others. Second point is work hard and put forth effort. Everything worth having is worth working hard for. I would encourage any one of you to take a look back in our American history. We just passed the 4th of July. Have you ever taken the time to read the Declaration of Independence? In the final paragraph of that declaration, the Founding Fathers, whose average age was 42, by the way, so don't let people tell you they were just a bunch of old men. And they were men of great resources and great wealth. But yet they said, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor for the independence of this country. Now, did our country do everything right? No. But we have a rich heritage of independence for which we can be thankful because those men stood up and stood for freedom. We have the religious freedom to have a Christian camp here in Hastings, Michigan because of what our founding fathers stood for. Point two, work hard and put forth effort. Let's look at... Uh, 1 Timothy 4, 14 and 15. 1 Timothy 4, 14 and 15 says, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. So Paul is saying, Timothy, you have a gift. We lay our hands on you and commission you as an elder, and we want you to use the gift that you were given. Jesus tells the parable of the talents, and I won't go into the whole parable, but basically the king gives each person a different amount of talents. And the first two people, they double their talents because they make wise use of them. The third one buries his talent, his one talent, in the ground, and then is punished when the king comes. May I encourage you that God has given you gifts and talents to use for him? And sometimes we get tripped up by comparing our gifts and talents with others' gifts and talents, and we say, well, if I can't get up and speak in front of a crowd, then my gifts don't matter. But if you have been able to give a smile or an encouraging word to someone, that's a gift. And you never know where they might be headed and how that one little action could affect them. But if you don't know what your spiritual gift is, the best way to figure it out is to start serving in different areas and then finding the area where you are most fulfilled and most rewarded in the way that things transpire. 
Now, I would hasten to add with that, that while I do believe that people have primary spiritual gifts, I think that the true Christian should be exercised in doing things that aren't necessarily in his direct spiritual gifting. Because you can't say, well, that's not my job, so I'm not going to do it. If there's a need, we need to be willing to step in the gap. But basically, Paul is saying here, you have a specific gift, Timothy, so please make sure that you do it. And then he says, meditate on these things. So he says, these things that I'm teaching you, think about them. Meditating, we're talking about meditating on scripture, it's not just, oh, I read my two verses for today, now I'm going to move on with my life. No, it is thinking about those verses, ingesting them, studying them, seeing what God has to teach you through them. Give yourself wholly to them. If God gives you a task, do it 110%, 75 miles an hour. Because he does not call the equipped, he equips the call. Remember I mentioned Moses earlier? Moses is up on a uh, a mountain, and he sees this bush burning, but it's not burning up. My family has a wood burner in our house that we use to heat our house during the winter, and so we have to constantly replenish it because the wood burns up. But this bush is not burning up, so Moses goes to check it out, and then God calls to Moses from the bush, and he says, Moses, I have a job for you. And Moses is 80 years old at this point. But God says, Moses, I have a job. I want you to leave the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, send anybody else. And God's answer to Moses is, Moses, who made him out? I did. So go, and I will tell you what to say. And I resonate with that because for so long I, I didn't want to go. But God told me I needed to. And I'm so glad that I listened. So let's look at some cross references here. Romans 12, 6 to 8. Romans 12, 6 to 8. So we see here that Paul is laying out some of the spiritual gifts, and he says, whatever your gift, your spiritual gift is, do it with all your might. If you are a giver, give wholeheartedly. If you are an exhorter, exhort. Don't let anyone stop you from doing the thing that God has called you to do. Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Philippians 2, 14 and 16. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, 
so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God will all reward from the crooked generation. And you will shine among them like stars in the sky. As you hold firmly to the word of life, that I'll be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. It is sound to me that this is written thousands of years ago because it seemed like it was written yesterday. We are living right now, brothers and sisters, in a crooked and perverse generation. A generation that calls evil good and good evil. So we need to be different. We need to hold fast to the word of life. Did you know that counterfeiters, when they're training to find counterfeit money, what do they do? Do they spend hours with counterfeit money? No. They spend hours upon hours upon hours looking at real money so that when they see the counterfeit, they say, this is not real because I've spent hours looking at the genuine article and this is not it. And that is the kind of Bible students that God needs right now. People that look at the Bible, that study the Bible for hours and hours so that when people say, well, God says this. God says you can live this way. It's okay because God is love. Yes, God is love. But you know what? The only way to know God's love is to know the judgment that I deserved and to realize that he delivered me from that judgment because of the blood of the cross. Because if I don't understand the judgment of God, there's no way I can understand the love of God. That's the truth. If you are into bumper sticker philosophy, you've probably seen the axiom, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go. For a vast portion of the workforce, that's the best reason they can muster for going to their job each day. According to one poll, only 43% of American office workers are satisfied with their jobs. In Japan, the figure dips to 17%. In the first century, Christian slaves had even less reason to be enthusiastic about their work. But Paul gave them a way to grasp a glimpse of glory amid the grind. He wanted them to adorn the doctrine of God, that is, to show the beauty of their faith in Christ by how they work. Titus 2.10 A significant and often overlooked way that we serve God is in our everyday tasks. Martin Luther understood this when he wrote, The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. And that is from our daily bread. So whatever your hand finds to do, do all to the glory of God. Our final point this morning, don't stray from the truth. First Timothy 4.16 Paul ends this chapter by saying, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this 
thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. There's only one way to heaven, as we have discussed, and it's through Jesus. So we start going down a different road of salvation isn't the end result. So Paul is saying to Timothy, continue to teach sound doctrine. For that's how you will have salvation. When you put when you put Jesus at the center. Now I believe that if you are truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation because the Bible says that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish neither shall any man be plucked out of my father's and the Bible tells me in Colossians that I hid with Christ in God there's no more secure situation but I also believe that you can pray a prayer like a sinner's prayer and it means nothing to you. Because the words don't matter. The question isn't what words did you pray? The question isn't did you pray this when you were seven years old one day at some event? The question is when you pray did you really yield to God? Because the Bible makes this guarantee. It says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things are become new. If you read the Bible, the words of Christ and otherwise, you'll notice that God speaks in the definitive article. He never says maybe. You won't find maybe in the Bible. He says if you seek me, you will find me. If you not, the door will be open. See, a lot of people that consider themselves seeking, seekers, they're not really seeking God because if they were, they would find him. It's a guarantee in the Bible. So we need to continue on. Let's look at a couple different cross-references here. 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 14. 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 14. Besides, whoever wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be So what is Paul saying here? He says, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Another definitive statement. We've been very blessed in America that the extent of our persecution has been usually just somebody making fun of us or something like that. I don't know if you've been following along with what's been going on in the Supreme Court, but uh, about three or four weeks ago, there was a man by the name of Joe Kennedy, who was a high school football coach. And he told God 
as long as I'm a coach, I'm going to pray on the 50-yard line after the game. He didn't ask his students to do it. He just said, I'm going to do this out of my commitment to you. And he did it win or lose. So it wasn't like he was just saying, when I win, I'm going to pray. So I'm going to pray regardless. We can only got him and took the out on the prayer. And the boys and coach started asking him, why are you doing this? And he explained it. And then he said, well, can we join you? And he said, yes. So several members of his team started joining him. And he was fired from that job because he said it was inappropriate. That it was not good to pray in a public school center. Well, he decided to fight in the courts. And about four weeks ago, the Supreme Court said that he was well within his First Amendment rights to pray in the 50 yard line, to be an example to his boys. But he was willing to lose his job in order to do this. Because at first I said, well, we'll give you another private place to pray. And he said, no, this is about being an example. Just like Daniel, with his window open toward Jerusalem, host Joe Perryman decided to pray, even though persecution was the result. In this world, even our American culture is becoming more and more adverse to the truth of Scripture. We are to be loved. Please don't get me wrong. But love is considered hate if it challenges the relativism that people are living Love is considered hate to those who hate the truth. And that's a very important thing for us to remember. Our final cross-reference today, 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 to 13. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 to 13. So Paul is talking with the, the Thessalonians, and he's giving thanks to them, and the fact that when he preached the word of God to them, they received it and accepted it, and it changed the way they lived. You know, when Peter and John were testifying after the healing of the lame man in the book of Acts, which is one of my favorite stories, because the same Jesus that healed that lame man will give me an incorruptible body in eternity, and I am looking forward to it. But it says that the religious leaders marveled when they realized that Peter and John were unlearned men, they were just fishermen. And yet they spoke with the authority of Jesus, and so they marveled and they knew what they had done with Jesus. So my question for you is, 
will he be like you? Do they know that you have any dreams? This is a challenge for me. Because I want people in the interacting with me to know that I found Jesus. Because you might be the biggest representation of Jesus that some people ever see. It's an important thing. Christians are to speak the whole truth. Without distortion, diminution, or exaggeration. The word of a Christian ought to be his bond. Every syllable being an expression of truth in the inward parts. The sacred majesty of truth is ever to characterize and hallow all of his communications. So if someone were to reflect on your testimony as a believer, one of the biggest things they should be able to say is that you are a truthful person. And again, another journey for me as well. I need to apply these things to my life just as much as you. But I want to encourage you as you go out this week and as you work among the campers to remember the words that Paul said to Timothy. To take them with you, to meditate on them. To make them a part of what you build your mission on this week. So as we look at this passage, I want to read it one more time as we end. So we can once again think about it together. And then we will close in prayer. But before I do that, I want to remind you that this is written to Timothy, who is a believer in the Lord Jesus. But if for some reason you are here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this can't apply to you. Because these things that Paul was asking Timothy to do are only accomplished through the Holy Spirit of God, which we are sealed by when we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. The gospel is this, that Jesus died according to the scripture, was buried according to the scripture, and rose again according to the scriptures. He died taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. He knew no sin, Became sin for us so we might be made righteous of God. So if you have not done that, I urge you to do that today. I would love to talk to you about that or any other issues related to the Christian journey that you want to speak to me about after the service. But let's read our passage one more time before we end. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity. In spirit, in faith, and purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in me, which is given me by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. 
to raise up holy people that they possibly may appear to all, taking unto thyself and unto thy doctrine, continuing in them. For in doing this, thou shalt save both thyself and them that hear thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word today. I pray that you would allow your word to do its work in each individual, minister encouragement to them where needed, conviction to them where needed, and just in all things, have the preeminence. In Jesus' name, and for his sake, amen.